What's going on, family and friends? Have an incredible conversation with a great friend. If you ever wonder where God was in the middle of your situation, this is episode number 41 of the Keep Reading Podcast. Here we go! Welcome to the Keep Breathing Podcast, where we talk about real life and share real hope, one conversation at a time. My name is Jimmy Akers, and it's a privilege for me to have the opportunity to share with you today. Thank you so much for listening, wherever you're listening from, whether you're at work, in a car, working out, on an airplane, just so thankful to have the opportunity to be able to share with you, me on this side of the microphone, and you on that side of the speakers or headphones, or however you consume this podcast Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to share this conversation. I share how I met Dr. Les Harden in our actual conversation coming up here in just a few minutes, so I'll save that for that, but I've been wanting to have him on the podcast for a long time. He has become a great friend, um, in some ways a mentor, and uh, there are times where I call him for some things to help me process some things, especially when it comes to contextualizing scripture Um, He's such a blessing, and so I'm excited for you to listen to this interview. And one of the reasons why I wanted to share this, too, is because we are all processing different things in life, and we have great times that we go through and hard times. And I just wanted him to kind of speak into that recently. He's gone through some things, and he had shared a blog post about it the other day, and so I told him, I said, man, we gotta, I want to talk to you. <laughs> I want the people that listen to this podcast to be able to hear. And so I just want to let you know, man, uh, you know, when, when Les and me have conversations, every single time I leave with something. And there's times where he challenges how I think. And it's just, I'm so thankful for him. And we need people like that that can speak into our lives in areas where maybe we don't have it all figured out. And not to say that he has it all figured out, but he's got some things figured out. The other thing I really am thankful for when he shares his story is we all have a story, but we all process things in a different way and different perspectives, and it's important. And the thing is, if you don't have people in your life that you're sitting down and listening to what's going on in their life, you're missing out because it's one of the gifts that God's given us as being a part of the body. And if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a person of faith, wherever you're at, we're thankful to have you with us listening to this. This isn't an exclusive conversation by any means, but the truth is, is regardless of where you're coming from when it comes to faith or any of those things, you shouldn't be doing life alone. And so I can give you reasons why that's true when it comes to my faith, but just period, man, we need people in our life. And I can tell you with this, this hurricane recovery that we're going through down here in Florida, that I have met some incredible people, uh, some that are Christians and some that that are not, that are just jumping in and serving people, serving each other, sacrificing. And I just want to say thank you. I want to thank everybody that is praying for us. I want to thank people that have come down to join us in the work we're doing in recovery. And I want to thank every person that's given. 
And man, there's so many stories I could share with you about opportunities we've had to bless people, and not because of what we have to offer, but because of what other people have sent our way that we're able to be a blessing to people, helping people that are going to get kicked out of their house because they couldn't work for a couple of weeks and they don't have the resources or putting gas in generators or in cars or buying gifts for organizations that are dealing with kids and helping kids in trauma and putting food back on people's tables. And man, there are so many things that we have been able to do because of generous people. And so thank you so much. And I just know that this conversation with Dr. Les Harden is going to be a blessing to you. And um, so thank you so much for joining in. Just before we jump into that, thank you for listening. And if whatever platform you're listening on, especially iTunes, if you can rate and review this, share it with people. If this is a blessing to you, an encouragement to to you in some capacity, share it with some folks because I promise it's going to be a blessing to them. And so, yeah, definitely let people know about it. Also, if you want to join us in the work that we're doing, you know, that to be able to bless more people, to share hope with more people, you can go to don'tdolifealone.com and click on missions and join us. You can support the work that we're doing. You can give a one-time gift or jump on and become a missions partner. We have incredible missions partners that are walking with us in the work that God's called us to do. And you can be a part of every life that's impacted by jumping on our team with that. So also, if we can pray for you, you know, let us know. Let us know. You can send a message through the website. Email me. Man, we would love to be able to pray with you and encourage you however we can. So thank you so much for joining us for episode number 41. Now we're going to go ahead and jump in with Dr. Les. Well, I'm so thankful to have a good friend of mine, Dr. Les Harden, on. He is the professor of New Testament at Johnson University, Florida, among other things. Uh, being my good friend, Les, uh, thanks for taking the time to hang out, man. Hey, man, it's always good to hang out with you. Well, I just want to kind of introduce you a little bit and talk about how we initially met. Um, we are both connected to a cycling ministry mission called Ends of the Earth Cycling, and uh, I'm a part of New International. Ends of the Earth is a part of that, and they were in the process of doing a bike ride, and they were doing it from the Johnson University, Tennessee campus, and um, somehow somebody got a hold of less, I think it was one of the students, right. That was kind of helping yeah. lead, lead it. There were a couple of students, uh, who were in an online course that I was teaching for Johnson university. They were Tennessee students and they were looking for a faculty member to join them in the 300 mile bike ride from Knoxville to Bristol and back to raise money for, for global youth ministries. They couldn't get anybody on Tennessee, any of the faculty on Tennessee campus to join the ride. They heard that I was a cyclist. So they reached out to me and and asked if I would come join. And I ended up being on that tour uh, because Justin had a hard time getting a lot of uh, help. So I was a, I was the tour pastor, the worship guy, the van driver, uh, the baloney putting in people's hands, sandwiched man maker. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so I got to meet Les and his, uh, incredible daughter, Leah. And, um, and it was, uh, it was an awesome yeah. week, uh, uh, opportunity to get to know a lot of great people on that tour that have become now lifelong friends, including Les. And, uh, so Les, I, the reason why I wanted to have you on here, I mean, uh, for those of you that don't know, um, Les being a professor, uh, we have talked about different ways for me to be able to go uh, to college and finish a degree. I've, I've actually agreed to change my name 
to Harden if he could legally adopt me and I could get the benefit of being his son uh, and going to school. However, that doesn't work when you're old. So I, I can't do that now. Um, but the thing is, is that I am an avid learner as a minister of the gospel. The one thing that I've come to understand in knowing Jesus is that he has the answers and I don't. And I'm trying to be a good student of the word and a good steward. Um, and there are occasions where I kind of call less my uh, professor and resident via text message, uh, where <laughs> I will reach out and say, help me with this because my understanding is limited. And so I appreciate you <laughs> always taking the time. I've even, I've even told Les if he had a Patreon or something, I would pay for his services uh, on the side uh, for helping me. I really appreciate it. There's a guy who's connected with the college who lives down in South Florida and, and uh, he and I share this kind of encyclopedic knowledge of, of late 1980s hip hop. So he calls me Rabbi Thug Life. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Well, we might have to label this Rabbi Thug Life and see <laughs> what kind of response we get to that. <laughs> yeah. I love for it. For reals. <laughs> well, uh, for our friends that are listening the last couple of weeks, um, know that I've been sharing a little bit about us just coming out of Hurricane Ian. And I am in Southwest Florida, where I live right outside of Fort Myers. Uh, I work in Fort Myers. And Les is more closer to Central Florida, uh, but also was impacted by the storm. And I've wanted to bring him on today because, uh, not just him, you, Les, I wanted to bring you on today. <laughs> him um, is me. Yeah, uh, Thug Life, Rabbi Thug Life. I wanted to bring Rabbi Thug Life on the podcast today because he kind of shared a little bit of his story. And um, the thing is, is that for those of you that are in the Southwest or in Central Florida that have been impacted by the storm, this is some, some things that you can process because you are processing it. But for those of you that are outside of our area, you've all gone through storms in life. And so I feel like some of this stuff is going to apply to you regardless, but Les, can you just share what you guys dealt with in central Florida? Yeah. So over on the coast, you guys in Fort Myers really got hit with the heavy storm surge and the high winds in central Florida. Once the, the eye wall made its way toward the center of the state, of course, those, the winds start to die down. The storms start to lose, lose power, but that storm, kind of stalled out right over top of my house and it dumped an insane amount of rainfall on central Florida. Like it just sat there and churned for like um, 12 to 15 hours. Now back in 2000, some was it 2019 when Irma came through 17 Irma came through and put more than 12 inches in central Florida in in 24 hours and at that time it was record rainfall hurricane ian dumped more rain than irma in those 12 hours hmm. now we live uh right next to a slough it's not a creek and it's it, it even though this thing uh, borders up against my backyard the federal government has not classified it as a flood zone it meanders on down to Lake Toho, which is the big lake in our area, and all the drainage goes that way. So with Hurricane Irma, the record rainfall, the water came up to about six feet all the way around the house and just kind of stopped. 
And after Irma, they came through and re-engineered the slough. They dug it out. They put river rocks all up around the sides of it and you know, big boulders and whatnot and just made it more efficient. So we're thinking, okay, it's been re-engineered. It's going to be fine. And so um, it wasn't just the water from the slough. It, was, it wasn't just the rainfall that we got in our area. It was all the rainfall from upstream that was being dumped on central Florida that eventually started making its way down. Mm. And so um, we live, it's, you, you might've heard of, of the shingle Creek basin. That's a little bit further West of uh, in Kissimmee than we are. But part of what we deal with is on the outer edge. It's a different tributary of the shingle Creek system that runs down to Lake Toho. So there was, there was four feet of water in the street uh, in, in front of our house. Uh, I, I can't sleep in these storms. And, uh, we had a couple of students who were staying with us. So I got up around, I was rearranging course information, you know, because of hurricane Ian, uh, we had to cancel classes and I'm rearranging courses and telling students what to expect. And I'm up doing that between like midnight and one thirty, two o'clock. Cause I just, I just can't sleep. We have seven oak trees on our property and they just make me nervous. So about one thirty or two o'clock, I got up to go lock the back door and found water trickling in the garage. Now, this home is 50 years old. It has never had water in it, ever. And so this is this is concerning to me. Um, I go back in to finish what I'm working on, and 20 minutes later, the entire garage floor is covered. Mm. So I had to wake everybody up and say, hey, you know, you have to get up and come on. And then um, – my daughter Leah started marking on the step that comes up from the garage into the kitchen. She started marking on that stoop little lines so she could tell how fast the water was rising. And it took less than an hour for that water to rise up to the level of the uh, of the uh, of the kitchen floor. So, you know, we we dealt with that. It it started coming in. We've got those windows that kind of come down to the ground. You know, maybe three inches above the ground, it started coming in over those windows and up in the back room. Kara has a piano studio that has a baby grand piano in it. It started coming in there. I started coming in through the closet in my bedroom. That was weird. Like, I, you know, of course, all the concrete slabs are porous. I know that, you know, and you, unless you put a plastic bag around a home, it's not waterproof. So it was just, it was just weird. We had, we had about, um, about, I want to say a little, maybe around an inch of water in the, in the outside rooms and then in the kitchen, you know? So it was, uh, one of those things, Jimmy, it was, uh, uh, how do I say I, in, in these situations, you, you do irrational things mm. because, uh, I, I made this statement in the blog and I, I don't know where I got it. It was just, you know, one of these things that happened. I'm like, and without training, your mind behaves irrationally during a crisis. Hmm. Like it takes training to behave smartly during a crisis. This is why we have people trained for this, right? So we're, we're in the garage, and I told these three students, uh, the two students plus my daughter Leah and Kara's out there, and I said, look, get every container. We have to lower the volume in the garage. Get every container you can find, fill it with water, and lift it up on something. Okay, well, yeah, we lowered the the volume in the garage, but when it, it's running four feet deep in the street, what, you know, what's, what's the, what's the point, you know, yeah, yeah. it started coming in the, in the bedroom. And, uh, one of the students was pushing water. I was, I was in the bathroom sitting down on the toilet 
and we have one of those showers that's uh, it doesn't have a door it just has a curtain you know he was pushing water into the bathroom i was sitting on the toilet and using a dustpan and just scooping it up into the shower you know because i'm thinking okay this drains in a different system you know it's like this is a losing battle it's completely irrational but you know you don't have training for those things and your mind goes well you can't just sit here you know it's you gotta- it was just really weird so, you know, it's it's certainly not the kind of, of trauma that uh, or, or catastrophes that that folks on Fort Myers Beach were feeling or some even folks where you live. And so it's been a real struggle to to sort of do two things simultaneously. And one is to put things in perspective and to say, OK, it's uh, my stuff got wet. That's all that happened. But also, on the other hand, to say, look, every everybody's got their own crises, you know, and and, and I can't just dismiss the the trauma I'm going through here because it wasn't as bad as somebody else's. And so trying to balance that's been really, really difficult. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You said it exactly like that because I've, I've had hundreds of conversations in the last couple of weeks with people down here because uh, a lot of our congregation, a lot of people and in the community in general uh, have lost their homes completely. I mean, there's some people that literally have a slab where they used to have their entire life mm-hmm. packed in their home. And um, but a lot of people have said things like, man, like, yeah, I lost part of my roof, but I still have my house or I lost my car, but I, I still have, you know, uh, you know, we got some things in a box. We still have some important memories left. And I'm like, yeah, but don't, you can't dismiss the fact that you still went through trauma. And I, I, I appreciate that thought, especially for people of faith that are like, well, God really looked out for me. You know, I, I I don't know how those other people deal are going to deal with that situation. And, but I think it is, I think it's a reality of we come to that point of understanding how finite we are and that, you know, how, how we don't have our, all of our stuff together, but it doesn't change the fact that we still went through stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It makes me wonder. So I, I wondered out loud the other day to someone about how many times uh, Paul got beat down by, by Jewish believers who disagreed with him or or even full-blooded jews who were not believers who beat who, who disagreed with him and 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 really uh persecuting him because of his preaching of, of king jesus but i i wondered out loud to someone the other day i, I wonder if paul ever got really really nervous hmm. when he went into an area and approached a synagogue like is that is that a kind of a trauma that lingers for him is he is he is that the kind of stuff that just never goes away from you know yeah, yeah i mean i might ask that question about jesus did he ever get nervous around roman guards you know after the crucifixion but resurrection tends to fix all your problems you know so <laughs> maybe maybe the mental ones as well yeah well, and the thing is, is I, I referenced uh, in my last podcast, I was talking about, um, you know, with Lazarus, you know, the scripture talks about that Jesus wept. And there are a lot of different theories on what he was feeling. Obviously, uh, he got that joker back up. And uh, and so why why did he weep? You know, and, you know, and I've read some different things on it, some people's perspective on it was, was he wept because people were hurting because they lost a friend that they loved and even processing that. But the truth is, is that we were made in God's image. We have all these emotions that God gave us for a reason. And, uh, you know, I think especially for people of faith, sometimes for some reason, it's almost like we, we fight trying to even feel it's like we, we, we want to live in this zone of faith to where none of this stuff is going to phase us at all. And of course you, you, you read passages of scripture, but like, well, you know, if, if you, if you doubt, you'll, you know, you'll be tossed to, you're like a man being tossed to and fro. And, but the truth is, is God can handle 
our messed up feelings. He can handle all of that stuff. And he actually wants us to come to him with it. You know, they say, God, we can give this stuff back to you. And, and then he can help us process that in a healthy way. But it is sometimes hard to reconcile your faith and your reality when you're a person of faith of like, I feel this way. Am I allowed to feel this way? I don't even know if I can feel this way. Yeah. those. Uh, one of the things I tell my students is that the the first rule of exegesis is that you have to finish the sentence. Yes. But but the next rule is you have to finish the the passage and then you have to finish the book and then you have to keep reading. Like that's how you get better at interpreting scripture. You have to read more. And so the text that you're quoting, you know, any man who doubts is like a man tossed to and fro. The very next book ends with be merciful to those who doubt. Yeah. yeah. So there you're right. There is this kind of, especially in, in, in the church, there can be this kind of a, uh, a sort of chagrin over those who doubt and those who express those kind of negative emotions in in worship or in you know in in prayer uh so much of our worship music is so you know happy i trust god all the time and i i i do a fair amount of teaching on on lament hmm. there are 60 psalms that are classified as lament and uh, we don't have to get into this here, Jimmy. There's a conversation. Uh, this is several other podcasts, you know, part one, two, three, four, and five. Sure. But but lament is not complaining to God. Lament is complaining to God about God. Mm. And that that's a different ballgame. Yeah. And you know, I and I've reflected this in the in the blog post. Like I'm. The stuff that our family has been through in the last 12 to 18 months, it is difficult and it is dark. And and I I, I just – the flood was the straw, a, a very heavy straw on this camel's back. Hmm. And that's the – my prayers in the last eight months have – well, they've not been very polite, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I I just came to that point where I was like, I don't, I don't see God anymore. Like I don't see him. You know, like I know he's there, but it's it's almost uh, the stuff that we've gone through, the stuff that it, it, it has almost been. Um, I look, I'm not I'm lo not looking to get into some kind of a grief contest with Job. OK, let that guy have his crown. Yeah. But on on this matter, I'm like, God, do you do you even see what we're going through anymore? Yeah. And that became the measure of of my laments, my complaints, you know. Now, after lament, you, you got to be quiet for a while, and, and this is the pattern of Scripture. There is lament. Lament is always followed by silence. You get to speak your peace to God, but then you have to be quiet. You have to let him have his say, and mm -hmm. sometimes his say takes several months. And then when he does act, when you've asked him to act and he has time to act and he does, that has to be followed by thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. you know. And so I'm, I'm kind of right now in the just be quiet phase. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, and, and and some folks would say, you know, uh, wow, expressing that kind of prayer and lament to God is a is a sign of weak faith. And I, I disagree. I, it's a sign of strong faith. I I expect better of him. You know, now I, I'll be clear. Let me back off just a minute because that sounds really belligerent and mean. I, I'll back off and say I, I hear God saying to Job, who were you? Where were you when I created the universe? You don't know what you're talking about. OK, I don't. So this is this is why I have my say and then I back off. Okay, let God put things into perspective for me. Now, part of that was God stepping in and saying, let me act on your behalf. Mm. And, it, it, you know, the next question will become, okay, how did God act on your behalf? And he really came through in the hands and feet 
of those who claim to be his people. Hmm. Well, and the thing is, is I, well, I'm trying to think what I want to say next. Um, I'm processing what you just said. You know, when you talk about the psalmist, the, there's so many times where I feel like I can relate to where David, I, so many times where he, he's like, God, you're, you're great. You came through. Thank you so much for being awesome. And then it feels like in the next sentence, he's like, where are you at? <laughs> like, and yeah. I'm like, yeah. I, I, I feel like David's not schizophrenic. I can, I can relate to feeling like that sometimes in my life. And, uh, you know, also probably because of the pace of life that we live now, um, things can change so quickly that I, I can be asking God for something and, and praying, seeking the Lord, trying to figure some things out. He will answer it. And my mind will already move to the next thing I, I want him to do. And I never spent time like, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about this before a long time ago. I was talking about altars and I was talking about that when God would do stuff, a lot of times in the old Testament, we would see these altars that would be built we don't even take time to even consider the spot where God moved in our life, let alone actually building a memorial to say, man, God did something here in my life where even other people will walk by and say, man, God did something here. Uh, or let alone that I can come back to it. We're, we've yeah. already so quickly moved past that. But you know, the other thing, and, and you talking about Job. You and know, those I, altars, Jimmy, are set up not just so that they can remember, so but so that all Israel will know yep. that, that Yahweh acted in this spot right, right here right here he did it he did yeah. something here and you know the thing is is i i whenever i would read job has always been to me it's such a big thing like in sunday school as a kid with my coloring page in children's church it, it made it it made it way too simple and because it was just what i couldn't comprehend the things that job actually went through yeah but when i when i went through when i was going through my divorce uh, in my, in my previous life, you know, the thing is about that was, that was something that I did not want, but I also couldn't stop. And again, here I am pastoring the church, trying to reconcile God, where are you at? I'm doing the best I can with this. And not, not too many months ago, this was great. And now it's gone. And, but I remember just skimming through some of Job, you know, where, where were you when I hung the stars in the sky, like processing some of that stuff, the thing that I always, and, and God has helped me with this, but a lot of preachers, when they preach about Job, whatever they're doing to get through the book of Job, they get to the end and they say, God restored Job. And 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 they leave it there. And, and, and the thing that I came to understand from what walking through that season of my life with loss in that way is God restore job but there's a chance that joker still had some ptsd when he rubbed the scars on his skin because the boils were gone but there's a chance that there, there's still some some things that he could remember attached to that and and i i was talking to somebody about this and they're like yeah but you know i can't really relate to the thing with job because somebody that had lost their child and they said because god restored job and i said yeah but Job still had tombstones with his kids' names on them. Yep. He was reminded. He did not yeah. forget. He did not forget what he lost. And let me put a let me put a book on your radar, Jimmy, uh, and for all those who are listening. It's called Hurting with God, hmm. and it's written by Glenn Pemberton. 
Glenn Pemberton's Hurting with God. Glenn Pemberton is um, a professor of Old Testament at, at Abilene Christian University. He's also a person who is, he's kind of like House MD, like he has pain in his legs all day, every day, and not even the Mayo Clinic can figure out what the, the source of his pain is. Wow. Um, and, and he's, I'll let him tell a story, but it was this idea, uh, it was, it was this book where I first came across this idea that, that you're articulating and the way he mentioned it. And it was, it was particularly pertinent to me because my sister had just lost her first child. My sister knew that her child would not live. Uh, they told her that, and and it wasn't anything she did, but her she gave birth to Melody, and Melody looked at her mama for 60 seconds through one eye, and then she died. Mm. And so Glenn Pemberton says in this book that l sometimes in these situations, you'll hear people of faith say, well, God replaced Job's children, and that is the most – insensitive most idiotic thing yeah uh that you can say to a person in that moment because you do not replace children you're right and he says that in the book he said job had other children but there were still gravestones in the backyard yeah you know? yeah job's well, tricky i mean you, you got to be careful when you're reading job because i hear you know sometimes i'll hear preachers i've, I've actually heard uh people at conferences do this they'll try to make some point out of scripture and you know I, I i never like somebody to just take a verse out of context and i watched several guys you know over time take these verses out of job and i'll go to job and i'll look them up and i'm like this these are not the words of god these are the words of job's three idiot friends <laughs> you know and so the the book of job is tricky like you got to be careful about which it 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 is the word of god but some of these are not the words of God. You know what I'm saying? Yep, you understand absolutely. the difference. So you get the story of Job suffering, and then here come all these people trying to explain why Job is suffering. And then Job's like, knock it off. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then at the end, God steps in and says, all y'all knock it off. None of you know what you're talking about. You know. And then yeah. everybody's quiet for a while, and then God let, – let's put it this way, Jimmy. It's It's more – Probably the better word for it is that God vindicates Job, mm. you know, yeah, maybe restores him, but not not putting it back the way it was. Yeah. You know, so in when I'm teaching New Testament, we always talk about the word righteousness uh, or or the word for justify or vindicate. And these these all come from the same word group. It's not that God makes broken things the way they were. It's that God puts broken things back to right. I, I, I used that a couple of weeks ago when I preached again. You, you shared that to me when I was going through that and my divorce. And that, that was so powerful to me because because the way things were, we, we're not going back <laughs> right. there, right? Yeah. We, we, we're not yeah. going back there. And, and God doesn't even go back there. Right. Like, and, and, but that vindication is God putting things back to right. And that, that was so important for me because right still looks different than what was. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like God steps in and says, hey, what, what would be best for you in this situation? Now that all this has happened, yeah. the best thing for you moving forward is this. Yeah. And that's we, what it means to put things back to right. We have a, a family in our church. I'm actually going to be interviewing them in a couple of days. Um, they've walked through a lot. They lost one of their kids that was uh, part of our preschool a couple of years ago. They're using a lot of that stuff and their story to help a lot of people. 
Well, on top of them trying to serve other people um, through a house that they got where they're serving food and meals, they, they fed like 600 people last week in our community, uh, multiple nights in a row. And just, but their house was destroyed with water and they can't live in it. It's going to be probably six months plus. And um, she was telling me, uh, Jamie's her name. She was telling me that there's a rental right behind their house, really close to where they lived before they just updated. She's like an interior designer and she's like incredible. And she said, Jimmy, it's so crazy to me that the rental that I've been restoring for months is now the place that my family has to find rest while we wait. And I said, it's almost like God orchestrated that. <laughs> and I said, it's so hard to wrap your head around that because if, if, if you, if when we talk about the sovereignty of God, and I know that's a couple more podcasts too, <laughs> people start processing that thought, well, there's God in control. There's God knows what's going on. How does it work? Well, then why would he let my house be destroyed for me to end up in this thing? And behold, you know, I go and prepare a place for myself. Yeah. <laughs> but the truth is, is that somewhere in the midst of all of those things, and we can transition the thought here, but when, when I, when I come back to Jesus being the author and finisher of our faith, that there's this thing that we're, where we're walking through life and life is happening. And sometimes it, it didn't just happen because maybe you made a bad decision. I don't think there's a devil behind every brush type of thing, but sometimes life just happens. But there's also times where I feel like God is leaning into this situation and God, but the redemptive part of who God is, is that he always can work through those other things. Like he can take the garbage and the pain as much as we don't want that crap. Like he can take that stuff and do something with it. And it's hard to see that when you're going through it and you don't want to process that. But I want to talk about that for a minute. You know, you just shared a recently a, a, a post kind of about where you're at with this storm and how some people stepped into your life. And there, the truth is, the church, the big C church, part of God's plan with that is this 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 family, this this relational aspect of who God is. Like I even think about like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like God has community within Himself, um, and all of the things we see throughout Scripture, where there's this relational stuff. Woe to him who falls when he's alone. Sending out the disciples in twos. All of this stuff, and then the Apostle Paul talking about us being the body and the different roles in the body and all those things. Um, and the thing is, is that there are a lot of people less that for some reason we, we as the big C church don't always get this well, like being involved in a lot of recovery communities the last couple of years. I actually think there are recovery groups that sometimes get this better than the church does, but God wants the body to be the body. But there are a lot of people, even people that I know listen to this podcast that, aren't, that don't go to church and they're still trying to figure out this faith thing is a part of where they're at. And I don't even know what they're doing with the Jesus thing, but not all, not every person knows what community feels like, let alone it being a faith part. And you kind of expressed a little bit of an appreciation for the church stepping in um, into your life with this season. Um, can you just share a little bit about that? Yeah. So, so when, when, when you and I first met, 
it was in Tennessee and you were the SAG driver, that sweet ride they rented you for that particular tour. Yeah. Uh, you were driving for all that. And uh, so I, you know, I'm a Florida flatlander. And so the highest hill that I get to train on is about 300 feet. And so we go to Tennessee where the average is like 900 feet, you know, and that's just the average, you know, the highest peak in Tennessee, I think it's like 6,000 feet. We weren't climbing that one, but we were climbing all the ones in between. And so my lower back got to really, really hurt me. And I wasn't climbing well, not climbing properly. And I had to get off the bike on day four. Well, you know, for a 40 year old man, I don't know how old I was then, but for a 40 year old man, you know, at getting, having to admit that you can't physically do something anymore. Like I'm, I'm in the transition between like, I'm a strong young man and I'm going to be old and frail. And I don't know where I am in that process. So really, it really irritated me. I was really bummed out and climbing in the SAG vehicle that, that day, just watch it you and I don't even remember who else was in the van, but you guys just lifting my spirits, you know, and, and just taking care of me and whatnot and showing me how to take care of the other cyclists, what they were doing. And so that night as 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 I'm preaching for the end of day worship service, it wasn't something I'd I'd like really deeply thought about. It was just an experience that I was having at that moment. And I said, when on a tour like this, you come to the end of yourself. And that's where you meet Jesus and you meet him in his people. Hmm. Now, some that's been repeated a lot on several of these, these tours that we do within cycling. And I, I think sometimes it gets shortened to uh, sometimes on these tours, you come to the end of yourself and that's where you meet Jesus. And I don't think that's the end of it. I think you have to put the other part on there and you meet him in his people. Hmm. So this is, this is actually more theological. You know, Paul says that we, the body, are all different members of, of the body, and some are the hands, and some are the feet, and some are the tip of the nose, and some are the boogers, and some of the, you know, some of the, the scraggly beards and whatnot. And so we have to work together. It was about, I want to say, I, I don't know, Jimmy, I, I'm going to stop trying to figure out what time it was. It was the time when the water was in the house. That's what, what time of day it was. And I don't know how. My colleague, Rob Fleener, found out about it. My suspicion is that my daughter texted him a picture of what was going on in the house. He had organized a GoFundMe page without my permission. He did it without my permission and knowledge because he knew I was going to say no. You know, So he did this without my permission. And the way he framed it was, you know, this happened to the Hardens. Many of you have been recipients of their loving kindness and their teaching over the years, it's time for you to now do back for them. I would have never put it that way. Like this is why he didn't ask me, right? He, he's been an incredible resource to me, knowing what I need and knowing that I'm going to object to it and telling me that I need it anyway, you know? So there, there was Jimmy without, before I even found out that it existed, there were thousands of dollars in the fund. Like I didn't even know it existed, and there was already you know thousands of dollars in that fund. Uh, it continued to grow over the next uh, seventy-two hours, if you will. The next, uh, so the next day after the hurricane, nobody could come. There's still like three feet of water in the street. Like nobody can get around. So it it was the day after. While the the street is flooded and people are asking, "What can we do? What can we do?" Now I was the only professor in the Florida campus who had any damage to the home. 
So everybody's just kind of doing their focus here on, on us and on our property. And we've tried to make our property a place for university events and, and you know, encouraging students, mentoring, discipling students uh, over the years. While they couldn't get to the house, they were organizing for when they could come. Hmm. And there were a couple of folks in the background, Dr. Kendi, who's a, she's a missionary. She's our missiologist and she's, she's been on the foreign field and she's been on the domestic field. She understands how to love with action, you know, and she was really the brainchild, just organizing everyone, just texting me and saying, Hey, what kind of things do you need? And I would say like, well, I need a squeegee and I need a push broom. And I, and so, you know, the next day, like, there's like, we've got all kinds of squeegees and fans and push brooms, and, you know? So organizing all that, the next day, there was an army of about 15 people hmm. who just showed up. And uh, one of them is a, is a guy with, with uh, he's an incredible, incredible handyman, remodeled his own homes and uh, has flood experience, you know, and another who, um, you know, just he's taken lots of advice from me and he decided to come take some trash from me. You know, and another couple who couldn't be there who said, hey, you know what? Um, so I backstory is small. I had just bought a new I had to get rid of my van and I just bought a new like kind of little SUV thing. And it, I it's so new. I don't have a trailer hitch to drag my trailer around. So these folks couldn't be there. They said, but we have a trailer hitch. So here, just use our little SUV. Hmm. And so they let us have it for two or three days. Um just all kinds of stuff like that. Another guy couldn't be there, but he's personal friends with the guy who owns the two Chick-fil-A's in Kissimmee. So he reached out to that guy who you, we, we used to go to church with. That guy sent over like 25 sandwiches and a whole bunch of chips for the for the, the crew that was working that day. That's so awesome. they came over and just kind of sprang into action and, and uh, you know, got the place cleaned up, sanitized all the floors, ripped out the carpet and the laminate. We have a lot of ceramic tile and vinyl, and so that that didn't get damaged. It just needed to be sanitized, sanitized all the baseboards. Another person took our laundry to a laundromat and just did all our laundry. And so while it was a little weird having 15 people go through every last thing that you own, <laughs> you know, <laughs> getting up in your business that way, uh, it, it was it was really quite phenomenal to watch to watch the people of God spring into action. And in that moment, Jimmy, like I'm, I say all that to reflect back on what I said it, at that moment where I'd said to God, I, I can't see you anymore. Hmm. It was it, it wasn't the next day, but it was the day after that, that. And like I said, you got to be quiet and you got to give God time to act. They were he was acting through his people. And when they came over, I realized, God, I, I do see him. Hmm. I it when I'd said I, I can't see God's face anymore. In the next 36 hours, I saw the face of God, and his face was eerily familiar to me, mm -hmm. you know, because it looked like it looked like Rob and Kendi and Wendy and Rory and Sean and Tony and and uh, Dom and some other folks that I can't think of right now. You know, Colin and Abby and, and Leah, you know, it's incredible. Yeah, I um, yeah, I. I I'll share the story with you. I don't know if you if you saw I posted about it. Did, did you see the thing about the gas can with the family? I took the gas can. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing the thing is is that when I I went to the the store the other day, I mean, or the restaurant the other day, I've been trying once or twice to go out to eat somewhere because a lot of those people hadn't worked for two weeks, and so they're not getting a paycheck either. And so opportunities to bless them and 
And uh, I told the, I was waiting for the, uh, somebody to come in that I could, I bless and my waitress. I already knew her situation. I had blessed her the last time I was there and not that she didn't deserve to have some more, a bigger tip, but I wanted to help somebody, you know, somehow. And I've had a lot of friends from up North that sent money for us to bless people. And this couple comes in the door and, um, and I could hear the guy and he, he heard her husband. He said, uh, they sat right next to me and he said, you got to be careful. We only have so much money, you know? And she, and she told him it's been two and a half weeks since I had a hot meal and I'm going to get what I want. And, uh, <laughs> that was the end of that conversation. You know, there were still, we're talking and I'm like, Oh, this is great. I'm going to be able to, I'm going to take care of these, these, these folks, yeah. uh, food. And I told my waitress, I said, I need their check too. So she brought it over to me and. So I gave her, I gave her the, the money because the, their system was down. So they only took cash. And uh, she said, what do you, do you want me to say anything or what? And I said, well, wait till I leave. I said, but well, just do me a favor and tell them that Jesus paid for their lunch. And she said, uh, yeah, but your name's Jimmy. I thought your name was Jimmy. And I said, oh, I'm definitely not Jesus. If, if you, th- <laughs> I promise you, I'm going to let you down. If you thought that you were going to be very, very disappointed. Um, but I remember a long time ago, there was a Christian artist that had a song and he talked about, I want to be mistaken. Like I want people yeah. to, to, to encounter God's love. Like, I, I think that's why John 13, 35, when he says people will know that you follow me because of your love. Yeah. And, um, and man, so many opportunities to do that, especially when people are hurting. And the fact that, you know, it's funny too, to, to less, because I think, <laughs> I was, I was talking to somebody at the mission, uh, when I first got there and he, he wasn't sure what to do with me being there because I was, I'm a pastor at heart. And so I was just trying to care for our people that were on campus. And he made a comment. He said, we, we really don't need a pastor. Um, he said, everybody here knows the gospel. And, uh, I said, well, I said, I, I, I just want to share this with you, man. I said, I gotta be honest with you. Anything that I get familiar with, I end up taking it for granted. And sometimes I need to be reminded of the gospel. I need to be reminded of who he is, what he's done and what he's doing. And the best reminder of that is when I encounter somebody that God is working through in those moments. Sometimes I didn't even know that I needed it. Um, And uh, this this coming weekend, we have a big outreach. Uh, We're doing a, a trunk or treat. We were going to cancel it. We decided to do it because kids have been impacted by this crazy storm too. We want to just be able to bless some families. And uh, th- that doesn't work for people that don't like trunk or treats, but, but you, can, you can deal with that on your own. Uh, but anyways, I'm supposed to handle the registration. But when all this stuff went down, my, my pastor said, I want you to handle coordinating people to go serve. That is not my skill set. Um, I'm a one-on-one people person. I love people. I lead our groups. I lead, I, I lead our group leaders to impact groups of people. Um, I have groups myself, but, but that is not where my focus has been. I do pastoral care and one-on-one and preaching and that's where, how God wired me. And so I, I had a hard time and, but I've been working my tail off and I'm, and I'm, I'm super tired. And uh, my pastor came to me this morning and he said, we're giving your job at trunk or treat away to somebody else. And we want you to take Friday and Saturday off. And I got to be honest with you, bro. Like I I have a hard time with that because everybody I work with is going to be here. And we've all been stressed and struggling, but he's identifying how hard I've been working, but 
I just feel like in a way that I haven't experienced with him yet, he's loving me well by making me take two days off. And no, I didn't ask for that. I told him I would take two days off next week. He knows you have trouble with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You know, but you you were asking Jimmy about the sense of community. That's where we, we kind of started a few minutes ago. And I was thinking about, I was thinking about the early church in the book of Acts, the earliest church, because, you know, you, you get the, the tongues of fire come on the apostles and they begin to preach in, in other languages so that the people from all over the empire can hear them speaking, as they say, in our own dialect. And then Peter preaches and he accuses the folks standing there of murdering the risen Jesus, which is true. And they're like, "Uh oh, what shall we do? And he tells them what to do. And they baptize 3000 people that day. The very next section in Acts says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' preaching, to fellowship. That's a that's a that's a community kind of word. That's not coffee and donuts. That's like they they took care of one another. Uh, to the breaking of bread, that's worship uh, and communion, and to the prayers. It's plural there in the original text. There's the standard uh, Jewish prayers that they were all taught to say. These early believers are all Jews. And it says that uh, in in verse 44 of Acts 2, it says all the believers were together and had everything in common. Mm. And there's uh, – so selling their possessions, they would give to anyone as he had need. Luke repeats that same idea later in Acts 4 when he says all the believers were one in heart and mind. The word there is really weird. Uh, it's it's he doesn't actually say all the believers were one in heart and mind. What he says is all the believers were hamathumadon, and we struggle to know how to translate that word. the The hama is same. The thumadon has to do something with kind of like this these desires, but it's like it's it's they they all have common purpose Mm -hmm. they have like the same desires like they uh, desire is not the right word for it but like same passion same purpose same drive it's almost like saying uh if if you're if you're a science fiction person they they have hive mind you know like they they all have the same exact focus the same now that doesn't mean that they all had agreement Mm. and i'm thinking about the ways that um the folks who came over on that that Saturday morning was it Friday or Saturday I don't know when they came over I'm like I'm looking around and going these are people that I in some context I have serious disagreements with you know but when in 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 that community of faith in among the people of God people who are in the spirit of Jesus and helped by the spirit of Jesus to have that common mind that common passion that that hive mind that is so focused on the gospel that in these moments those disagreements those those banters they don't matter Hmm. you know everything takes a backseat to this is what must be done and it's done out of a sense of love and concern to say yeah we, we might disagree about these various things but the core of who we all are is the same because the core is we are all people of God. We're all Jesus people. We're all those who are subjects of King Jesus, members of his kingdom, and we all defer to him. Mm. And so in that moment, it is the spirit of God, uh, not just – is it, it's weird if, if you're an unbeliever and listening to this. The, the same spirit of God that lives in me lives in Jimmy, and it's not too – 
halves of the spirit. It's the whole spirit, but the, the spirit of God that lived in all of these people was at the same time saying the same thing, mm. driving them all toward common purpose and common goal toward the hive mind or more like, more like, well, let's use Paul's metaphor to become one body. And one of them had to be the brains, you know, and another had to be the hands and another had to be a foot and another had to be you know, the, the mouth and, and tell people, I can't be there, but here's what you guys all need to do. And so it to, to see them all working together like that uh, was really indicative of what the early church was to have same passion, same purpose, uh, same mindedness, and then to see that, that, same idea sort of fleshed out here uh it was it was really quite something to see wow well my brother i appreciate you man i appreciate your time and um i definitely would love to have you on more in the future again sometime yes uh well i you know i I love you guys i'm praying for your family man as you walk through this and you know the thing is bro i i think that i really appreciate you sharing that thought too that after the after the, the lament, it's time to be quiet. And yeah. I know there are a lot of people right now. I think there's a lot of people that, that skip that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I know I have, yeah. I know I have. And uh, I think it's really, really important. And, you know, even the, the, the name of the podcast being the keep breathing podcast, when I started it, it's because I could barely catch my breath mm. and it was God speaking to me through Abigail from the mission, uh, before I knew my life was about to implode. And she said, Jimmy, keep breathing. And it's on my arm now because I was having debilitating anxiety attacks as my life completely fell apart in a blink of an eye. But now I feel like my podcast has kind of taken a different direction in the fact that my hope is to be a breath of fresh air and to give other people the opportunity to take a breath and and to pause and to reflect. And so I really, uh, I'm really thankful for you sharing that thought about where you're at because the the reality of it is there's still some scars, there's still some recovery, there's still some stuff going on, and uh, that's going to take some time. And people talk about that time heals all yeah. wounds. Well, the truth is, uh, I think time uh, will reveal the wounds. <laughs> you, you'd mentioned earlier about how we expect God to answer our prayers as quickly as we like want a snicker bar from a vending machine but you know keep in mind these 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 scriptural texts are mostly written in agricultural contexts and i mean i grew up on a farm and you you plant a seed today it'll be four months before you see any fruit from it yeah and if it's an orange tree it's going to be longer than that and so you got to give god time to act so i know a lot of you guys are hurting out there and i know you're struggling with stuff and i know you're crying out to god asking him to act he will but you got to give it time and in the oh. meantime, let let look for his face in in the eyes of his people. Hmm. Well, thank you, bro. I appreciate your time. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, Jimmy. Love you guys. We'll catch up. God, I know for a fact that I've been at that place before where I've wondered where you were in the midst of my situation. And like Les shared, God, I've questioned that too. I, I've said that too. I don't see you. God, I know there are some folks that are listening to this that are in that season. They're walking through a situation like that where they're struggling to see you in the midst of this. God, I just pray you would make them more aware of your presence in their life. And God, I pray that you would help them to keep breathing, to 
to sustain them in whatever capacity that you need to, Lord God, for them to see you in the midst of all of this. And God, that you don't necessarily make things happen in our life to, to bring destruction or hurt or pain, but God, you use those things. So God, I thank you so much for that. And God, I just pray, Lord God, that they would trust you in the middle of this. God, because you can do your best work with broken pieces and broken people. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless your friends. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.